Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Joining us this morning is Mark Lamont Hill. He is a City University of New York presidential professor, host of BET News, The Grio, and Al Jazeera Upfront. He's the owner of Uncle Bobby's Coffee and Books in Philadelphia. He joins us to talk about the forced resignation of Harvard President Claudine Gay. Mark, good morning. Good morning, my brother. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you too, man. So, you know, the world of academia is is an interesting one. Uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay, of course, uh, the first black woman, the first uh, woman period to be president of Harvard. Uh, the shortest tenure of any Harvard president. Why was she forced out? That's a great question. And this is what makes you a great journalist and a great host, because you actually begin by challenging our most taken for granted assumption, because everybody in the world right now is saying, oh, she got, you know, forced to resign because of plagiarism. But you're right. The question is, what is the actual reason? Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a few things, you know, after the congressional hearing last month, People were not happy with Liz McGill, the president of uh, of, of, of Penn. They weren't happy with Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard. They weren't also weren't happy with the president of MIT, although she's managed to hold on to her job. Um, and after those hearings where they felt like she didn't sufficiently condemn genocide and where she didn't sufficiently talk about uh, keeping college campuses safe for Jewish students, a war began. Now, I don't agree with people's assessment of what happened at that hearing. I think she was being fair and reasonable. It wasn't a great performance. She could have done a, she could have been better prepared for the for how she would address the questions. Mm-hmm. But the spirit of her answers were principled and honest, and she certainly cares about everybody. Mm-hmm. But after that, man, the war the war was waged. And the day she stepped the, the moment, not the day, the moment she stepped off away from that microphone you started hearing she's a DEI hire. She's an affirmative action hire. Mm-hmm. And so you had two things happening at once. You had people who, who cared about the question of Israel-Palestine who were using, who began to use plagiarism as an excuse to get rid of her. Yeah. And then you had people who, who, who cared about not having black people as president, people who, who hate affirmative action and DEI, who were using anti-Semitism as the pretext for for getting rid of her. So she was from both sides having people pretend it was one thing, but really being the other thing in terms of their agenda. And that's how you end up with her getting squeezed out because you had too many powerful people with too many powerful agendas and who are well-resourced and well-microphoned who could make her seem like an incompetent, unworthy black woman uh, who was in a position that she didn't deserve, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Hmm. You know, Mark, uh, in the world of academia, one of the worst things you can accuse someone of being is a plagiarist. But the interesting thing was for me is that they went back to the 1990s. It's 2024. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. That's that. It's fascinating. The other thing is all of the outrage about plagiarism came from not from her academic colleagues, not from political scientists, not from other scholars in other fields. It came from. People like Christopher Rufo, people who have never held a PhD mm-hmm. and people who have never held a professorship, mm-hmm. people who have never worked at a university and people who, frankly, probably never even read her work. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't, although it may seem like it, this wasn't a professional crisis. This was a manufactured crisis. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they had to go back to the 99s and 2000s to make sure uh, that they found something. Now, I, I don't excuse plagiarism, although I would say that 
the bulk of what I've seen is not idea theft, which is like the most egregious form of plagiarism. She didn't pass off someone else's ideas as her own. Mm -hmm. It was mostly sloppiness. Now, as president of Harvard, you shouldn't be sloppy. Right. Um, as somebody who oversees plagiarism cases, you can't say, well, I did it. You know, you know what I mean? So right. we can, we, you know, so I can't, I don't have the moral authority to say, I'm going to suspend you, student, or I'm going to fire you, faculty member for plagiarism. So it does create a problem. I'm not excusing her actions. It's just, it's so disingenuous. They were going to dig and find, if, if it wasn't that, they would have found some unpaid parking tickets. If it wasn't that, they said she was stealing cable in the 90s. You know what I mean? They would have found something right. to get rid of her because this wasn't about plagiarism. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the other interesting thing about this to me is that it fits into a pattern. So we see what's happening with school boards across the country. That uh, looks like it is it is an agenda and it is a plan that that they are executing one school board at a time. And when I say they, I mean conservatives. But there is also uh, an agenda with universities and universities that are seen as too liberal. Do you see this as part of a pattern? Oh yeah, this is this is the assault on the uni on the liberal university because as you know, the right thinks that every university is really you know the Frankfurt School in Germany and everybody's being trained to be uh, a a Marxist radical subversive and um, and at the same time our academic standards are being watered down by all of these DEI and affirmative action cases right that's what they think. And so every opportunity they get to undermine that, they do. We see that with the Supreme Court decisions. But we also see that, as you pointed out quite quite accurately, with the case-by-case, -case, school board-by-school board attacks from, people, from groups like Moms for Liberty. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that now, with this case at Harvard, remember Harvard was also ground zero for the last affirmative action case where people were saying, oh, my God, you know, people, Asians aren't being allowed into Harvard. Yes. And white people are getting squeezed out of Harvard. And now they're saying, well, look, look who's at the top of Harvard, this unworthy black woman, mm -hmm. this unworthy black woman is at the top. And so this is going to become a poster case, a case study on this matter, because now they're going to say, see what happens when you when you do affirmative action, see what happens when you get unqualified people. Now, again, there's no evidence that she was unqualified, but that's what they're going to say and use it to advance their broader agenda of saying universities are being infiltrated by radicalness and mediocrity. Yeah. So Claudine Gay, I mean, she she is uh, this this black woman who made it to the top at at Harvard. They use these two controversies to get her out. What are the implications for black leadership going forward in academia? Well, I think there's going to be even more barriers, even more litmus tests. You know, um, there's going to be the. The litmus test that was given in Congress that I think all university presidents are going to have to deal with. Um which is, you know, tough because it's not just about keeping Jewish students safe, safe, which is important. We should keep Jewish students safe. We should keep all students safe. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's about not creating space for political dissent and not allowing the first, first amendment right to free speech to be exercised. And then when it comes to black folk in particular, you know, we always have an extra, an extra burden, right? Because there's an assumption that black folk and Muslims and brown folk are anti-Semitic. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to go to double lengths to prove how non-anti-Semitic they are, which will, may come at the expense of Muslim rights, brown rights, uh, South Asian rights, specifically Sikh rights, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and Palestinian rights to be and specifically. And then there's going to be that we're going to read every word of every page of every footnote of every line to make sure that there's nothing wrong with anything you've ever written in the history of the world. Now, every academic should 
hold up to that scrutiny. Nobody should fail a plagiarism test if they want to be a professor, much less a president. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how much more intense that scrutiny is going to be toward black people now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so, you know, Harvard, as you pointed out, was ground zero for the um, the affirmative action case that went to the Supreme Court. They, of course, struck down the use of of race as as one of the um, uh, uh, things that they looked at in admitting students, Harvard and, and University of North Carolina. So for black students, what does this mean? We, we see what it means for black professors. What does it mean for black students? For black students, it means that there will be even fewer role models. Hmm. There will be even uh, less of an opportunity to have a professor that looks like you or a dean that looks like you or a provost that looks like you. Uh, it means that there will be even fewer people behind the scenes advocating because it's, it's just like an entertainment. It's just like in radio, just like in TV, just like in music, whatever. It's important to have people of color in front of the microphone, on the stage, etc. But it's just as important to have people as producers, people as editors, as people as program directors, because those people make decisions. Those people create systems and structures that enable us to be successful. And if there are fewer black folk advocating um for black folk at the same time that there are pressures and organizations and movements trying to undermine the success of black folk at these organ at, at these spaces, what you're going to end up with is a lot fewer black folk in these institutions, which I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think it's a crisis. I think it's a problem, but I also want to think about it as an opportunity for us as black folk to reimagine our relationship to these institutions mm -hmm. to say, maybe now is the time for us to take our money and put it into Cheney to put it into Lincoln to put it in the Dell State, to put it in the Morehouse, to put it in, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and to think about it in that way as well. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that, um, you know, our institution's absolutely there for a reason and is there because we couldn't get into their institutions, but but they're right. ours. And, and, you know, maybe we've spent too much time trying to get into these elite, predominantly white institutions and, and not enough time paying attention to our own. I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, to me, the crisis when the Supreme Court decision came down wasn't, oh, my God, Negroes won't be able to get into Harvard anymore. I mean, most of us don't get into Harvard. Most of us don't go to Harvard. Right. And to quote the great Carter G. Woodson, Harvard has ruined more black men than, <laughs> than bad whiskey. Mm. You know, there's, sometimes these institutions do something to your mind yeah. that you don't want done, you know. And so I, I, I'm OK, as you point out, you know, paying more attention to ours, because that to me is is what's really important. Yeah. So one of the things that Claudine Gay said in in her letter of resignation, which I, I don't think should be ignored. And this is a quote from her, her letter. It says it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. So she's, you know, getting these threats, these racist threats. Yeah. You know, and, and that really at bottom seems to be what what this this whole thing is about. Mark, what, what are your thoughts? I think that's right. I, I think at the end of the day, this was well, I think it was about two things. I think at the core, there is a very important issue here around keeping Jewish students safe on campus that she did not respond to well. I'm not saying she was wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying the public relations, the, she, she could have used Solomon Jones in her ear before she before she went to that microphone and said, here's a good communication strategy yeah. so that you can effectively articulate your idea. Mm -hmm. But because people weren't looking to hear her effectively articulate an idea, they were committed to misunderstanding her because at the end of the day, they're, they're at, at a moment where 
you know, Gaza is under attack at a moment where uh, Israelis, Israel's government is being criticized for its bombardment of the region. There are people criticizing and there are people who don't think Israel should ever be criticized. And she became a pawn in that debate. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was one piece of this. And, that, and that's why the, the, a white woman, Liz McGill, was pushed out. But the difference is Liz McGill was pushed out from political pressure from donors. Claudine Gay survived that fight. Right. But then she had another fight, which is the one you're speaking to right now, which is that there were a bunch of white men, Bill Ackman, for example, Christopher Rufo, to give you another example, et cetera, who simply don't believe that black people are worthy of anything. Mm-hmm. So you got Christopher Rufo who launches a full out campaign saying she is a mediocre uh, intellectual. Christopher Rufo, this woman has a PhD from Harvard. Is a full professor from at Harvard and is president of Harvard before, before being the dean of faculty at Harvard. He's got basically a correspondence degree, and you know, and no disrespect to it, mm-hmm. but from Harvard Extension School, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yet as always, white men feel empowered to be able to assess the credentials of black folk, even when they ain't got them. It's like white people who were giving literacy tests at the polls to black people before they could vote, and then white people couldn't read either. Mm. Mm. Deep stuff, deep stuff. So, you know, she's saying that she's going to she's going to stay there. She's going to remain a professor. Um, I, I would think that would be a hard road to hoe. Um, if if you were able to speak to Claudine Gay as somebody who's experienced some things in, in the world of academia, <laughs> you know, what what would you tell her? Well, look, man, he, the problem is they stained her. They smeared her. Yeah. So they, they didn't just say she made a bad choice. They're saying she's a bad scholar. Mm-hmm. So. And a mediocre one, right? So what board is going to approve this black woman to be hired as president, right? And 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 she's already at Harvard. So it's a tough thing. Now, let me be clear. I would leave at the first opportunity I had to leave, but I do understand the idea. And I think she will too, frankly. The question is, when will she have another opportunity? Her salary next year, according to the, the, new, the, the new York Post, which is always an asterisk, but her her uh, her salary was nine hundred and thirty four thousand dollars. And she's going to be able to keep that salary. Oh, wow. So if they say, look, you we're going we're gonna to demote you from president, but you can keep nine hundred and thirty four thousand dollars a year to teach one class a semester, maybe one class a year. And you probably get the next year or two off for a break. That's a that's that's a slightly easier road to hoe. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know what I'm it saying? Is. <laughs> it you give me a million dollars a year to not work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to at least consider it. Got to got at least think about it. <laughs> that I makes hate. the shame a little bit easier. <laughs> How about that? How about that? That's Mark Lamont Hill. He is a City University of New York presidential professor, host of BET News, The Grio, and Al Jazeera up front. He is the owner of Uncle Bobby's Coffee and Books in Philadelphia. Joined us to talk about the forced resignation of Harvard president. Hey, Solomon, can I say one thing real quick? Yes, sir. Uh, I want everybody to know I have a new podcast. It's called The Classroom in the Cell with our brother Mumia Abu-Jamal. Eight episodes are already uploaded. Many of you love to hear and want to hear the voice of Mumia. Well, he and I have a podcast. You go to YouTube. Go to the Mark Lamont Hill YouTube channel. Just go to the Mark Lamont Hill YouTube channel. You can hear all the episodes of The Classroom in the Cell. We do two a week. Love it, man. So we'll make sure that we uh, let our folks know that. We'll post that as well. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning on WURD. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 